Heavenly Father, thank you for this brand new day. Lord, we praise you that you sustained us through the night. You woke us this morning. And uh, Lord, all of today lies before us. And we want to live it for you, Lord. We want, we want you to be glorified in it. Lord, uh, we pray that you would give us new insights about you and about your word and how to grow. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right, so now, starting with a question like I usually do, why is the Bible so important for Christians who want to grow? Why is the Bible so important? It's God's word. It's God's word, yeah. God speaking to us. It is spiritual bread strengthen us. Okay, it's spiritual food. Yeah, you yeah. can call it spiritual bread. Yeah, excellent. That's right. It's helped you to grow more in the in Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is better. I'm sorry. It is what we need for the man of God or the Christian to be fully equipped. Okay, yeah, good, good. You're thinking of uh, Scripture. Second Timothy. Second Timothy, yeah. We're going to read that one later in this, in this time together. the psalm that says it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it's a guide. Yeah, 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 that's interesting. It's interesting to think about all the different metaphors that Scripture uses for Scripture. Yeah. You know, so you mentioned food. And Joanne, you mentioned light, um, and and in Second Timothy, it's interesting you mentioned that one, Edwin, uh, to be fully equipped. But in Second Second Timothy three, what is the metaphor for the Word of God? Do you remember? Is God bread? Yeah, Joanne. Sword. A sword. Yeah, a sword. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, if you were ever in uh, church growing up and you were in a youth group or something and you would have sword drills. Sword drills were like where you had to know your Bible well. Okay? Well, anyway, yeah. The Bible is critical, crucial for Christians who want to grow in Christ. Now, this week we're going to examine um, the foundational spiritual discipline of hearing and reading God's word. Now that seems that might seem really vanilla, really plain, really ordinary, something that like a Christian would say, duh, yeah, you need to read God's word. But we need to we need to look deeply at this. And um, next week we're going to talk about memorization. We're going to talk about meditating on God's word, maybe journaling in conjunction with God's word and ultimately learning. So that's next week. But if you'll remember in the first week, so two weeks ago, we stressed that biblical spirituality is Bible-centered, that any kind of true God-honoring spirituality is rooted in and centered in the Scripture. And correctly practicing all the other spiritual disciplines flows from the time that we spend 
in God's word. The word informs then, of course, our praying. It guides our praying. It guides fasting or stewardship or evangelism or service or cultivating the fruits of the spirit. So why is the Bible so critical for the Christian life? We're going to first talk about two reasons. Two reasons. And the first is that capital letter A in your outline. So section one, part A. God gives us new birth through the scripture. So first, the Bible is critical for the Christian life because God's word is the means that God uses to bring about our new birth in Christ Jesus. So 1 Peter, 2, uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 23, puts it like this. Uh, actually, if someone wants to read it, it would be great. As long as you read it really loudly. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Mm, yeah. A living, living and abiding word of God. Living and abiding word of God. Yeah, we're born again by the word of God. So conversion always happens when a person becomes a Christian, they're converted, and it always happens in conjunction with the truth of the scriptures being read or heard and then believed. People cannot become Christians apart from hearing Bible truth, either just read out loud or preached and explained or read to themselves. It has to come from the Bible. They can't just walk around and look at the trees of the field and the mountains and the oceans uh, and become Christians. You can't do that. Um, now, it's interesting that, that conversion always occurs in conjunction with the truth of scriptures. Now, I, one of the articles in our statement of faith is called regeneration. So that's being born again. Like, like Jesus talks about in John chapter 3, you must be born again. That's what he told Nicodemus. Here's what it says in article number 8 in our statement of faith. Come on in. Yeah, and you can p pull up other chairs. Good to see you, Serena. Listen to, listen to this article. Now, sometimes this, this language is very precise, and so it can seem a little bit formal, but it, it's that way just to not be sloppy. We believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be regenerated or born again. Regeneration consists in God giving a holy disposition to the mind, holy posture toward in the mind, and it is affected by the power of the Holy Spirit in a manner beyond our comprehension. So we don't know how it happens, but God changes our mind, okay? This is in connection with divine truth so as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel. So that sentence is really important. The Holy Spirit changes a person's mind, but it's in connection with divine truth. So when the gospel is preached, when the good news is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit uses that to 
change someone's mind um, so that then they make a voluntary decision to follow Jesus. In other words, it's not like, it's not like, poof, I'm a Christian, you know, like, like God is, in regeneration, God is acting upon you, but then when the person repents and believes, they're doing something that they understand, at least in a very simple way. They understand some of the truth that they've heard. Does that make sense? So it's in connection with divine truth so as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel. Its proper evidence appears in the holy fruits of repentance, faith, newness of life, and works of righteousness. So that's, that's how it shows up when a person's born again. And that's why we, when, we're, when we're bringing someone into membership, we ask them, how did you become a Christian and how has your life changed since then? We want to hear some about those fruits. Something, you know. So the word gospel, what does that mean? It means good news. It's the news about what God has done for us in Christ. And we learn of that news in the scriptures. In other words, Christianity is a revealed religion. God has had to reveal it to us. That's why the Bible is often called God's revelation. The Bible reveals how God's perfectly holy and just but it also reveals something about us, of course, doesn't it? It reveals to us our sinfulness and how we deserve God's righteous judgment for our rebellion against him. It also teaches us that God is full of mercy and compassion. And we learn that we can do nothing to save ourselves, but that our only hope is to repent and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, And after three days, he was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. The Bible encourages us to come to Jesus in whom we find life and joy and peace. Do you see how spiritually lost and listless we would be if God had not revealed himself to us in his word? We wouldn't know all that information, that truth about us and about God and about the way of salvation. But praise God, he's given us his good and perfect word. Now, it's interesting, just just to pause for a moment. Romans 1 argues, well, let me me ask this. So God has revealed himself in his word. Can you think of another way that God has revealed himself? In nature, yeah, in creation, right. God's revealed himself in nature and the world around us enough for people to know that there is a God and that he's powerful and good, but it doesn't teach us how to be saved from our sin. And God revealing himself in nature is called, does anybody know what it's called? General revelation, that's right. General revelation, right. We need, but we need the Bible, which is often called special revelation. So there's general revelation and special revelation. And um, the Heidelberg, I think it's the uh, Heidelberg Catechism basically talks about the two books. One is the book of scripture and the other is the book of nature that we can learn from both. But salvation is only found in the book of scripture. 
All right, so that's uh, part A. And by the way, that's in Romans chapter one about um, uh, God reveals himself in nature and as well in other parts of scripture like um, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his handiwork, Psalm 19. Okay, B, part B then, God sustains and grows us in the Christian life through the scripture. So he gives us new birth through the scripture and he sustains and grows us in the Christian life. Scripture is the means that God uses to sustain and nourish us in our Christian life. And we can see that in 1 Peter 2, verse 2. So if someone could look up 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. Okay, good. Pure spiritual milk. Peter is saying, long for that so that you can grow up into salvation. The, per, the pure spiritual, can't say it. The pure spiritual milk that Peter refers to, of course, is the word of God. And just as an infant desires the milk necessary for growth, we should crave God's word. So we Zoomed last night with our daughter, Sarah, and her husband, Daryl, and they have a new baby who is, what, Joanne, a month or two year, two months old? Seven weeks now. Yeah. Oh, man. Is she, like, fat and chubby already? Mm-hmm. Like, she's been drinking that milk, and she's just putting on the weight. <laughs> and uh, the Atwayes came over the other day <coughs> and, uh, and brought Levi, and that boy is a chunk. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, I think he came out and he was in NICU, right? The mm-hmm. neonatal intensive, mm-hmm. intensive care. But, yeah, he's, he's doing fine. Now, so um, a Christian's spiritual maturity depends on a regular diet of God's word. And our progress in sanctification depends on how much Bible content we take in and how we take it in. Kind of the posture of our heart. So the analogy of God's word as sustaining food and drink is that metaphor that we mentioned at the very beginning of class here, and it's used over and over again in, in the Bible. So someone, can someone look up Deuteronomy 8, verse 3? Who can, who can look that up for me? And I got another one. Thelma, Thelma's got that one. Uh, how about Jeremiah 15, 16? Who wants to take that one? Vipin, you want to take it? Now, the people with phones, it's not fair. <laughs> we, should manda- we should mandate, like, you know, you have to have an analog copy of the Bible and see how fast you can get to the passage. You guys know me. Like, I mean, I know I'm almost 60 years old, and I encourage you to use a paper Bible. But you really should as often as possible. Okay, so Vivian's got that one. And Thel- Thelma, read for us. Um, what did I say? Deuteronomy 8.3. With manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay, good. He's talking about the Israelites. Mm. Yes, and Vipin? Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, 
Oh Lord, God of hosts. Mm, yeah, Jeremiah is talking about eating the, the words of God. So just as we need a regular diet of food to keep us physically healthy, so we should also feed daily on God's word for the sake of our spiritual health. The food we consume with our mouths satisfies us temporarily, but learning from God from his word, it has eternal value. It will sustain us eternally. So here, I have a question now, just from your experience. If you're a Christian, you've had the amazing experience of hearing a sermon and of being convicted and encouraged and knowing that you've encountered God in some way. It's thrilling, isn't it? There, there's this sense of I've encountered God through his word. But why do you think it's so hard then to spend regular time in God's word if we know we need it more than we need physical food. Why do you think it's so hard? I think because it requires discipline. It requires discipline. Sacrifice. Mm -hmm. You might have to sacrifice some things. Yeah, we like don't like e we don't like either of those things actually in general. Yeah. Sacrifice and discipline. Mm -hmm. The cares of the world. Because of what? The cares of the world. The cares of the world. Yeah. We, we, we're distracted. We, we, we think of other pursuits. Mm. Yeah. Kind of forgetfulness about how wonderful it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's like you, 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 have, you have a wonderful time in God's word, and it's like you could wake up the next morning and think, oh, I don't really want to do that. Mm. Ah, for some reason, you know. I'll I, do it later. I'll do it later. Yeah. Later. Yeah. yeah. Um, because of the fall, it's also against our nature. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. Our sinful nature says, yeah, don't listen to God's word. Don't go to God's word. You don't really need that. Oh, yeah, that tug away from it. The spiritual blindness of the... the yeah, spiritual blindness. That's a, yeah, that's a, another thing, actually a, a metaphor that the scriptures use. And, of course, um, I think in many ways every... Every healing of a blind person that Jesus did was a metaphor for what God's word could do, open the eyes uh, of a person who what God could do. Yeah, I think, we're, I think of what it says in Hebrews too. The, the author of Hebrews says to, the, to those he's writing to, he said, you're dull. You're dull. And I, I think that's sin, like what Cherry's saying. It's, we're dull because of sin in our hearts. <coughs> Well, then let's move on to um, Roman, Roman numeral section two, preparing to receive God's word. So this is, this is really uh, important. Here in a second, we're going to think through various ways to spend time in and with the Bible. But before we get there, let's talk about what our heart's disposition should be towards the scriptures. It's crucial to think about that if we want to profit from them. We can't just open God's word, read it, and not think anything about where our hearts are or our minds. So part A under Roman numeral two is first we need to revere scripture. We need to revere scripture. First, we have to have reverence for it. It is God's word and therefore it's infallible, sufficient and authoritative. And so we must not approach the Bible in a flippant or careless manner. Instead, we ought to 
imitate the Christians that were at, in the church at Thessalonica. Paul writes about them uh, when he wrote 1 Thessalonians. Could someone read 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 out loud? We also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Mm. Great. Now, to say that we want to come to the scriptures full of reverence for them does not mean that we, we of course, need to get dressed up in our best clothes um, or, you know, kind of put on our game faces for the day and, and then guzzle down two cups of coffee so that we're bright-eyed and ready to go. And although I would say that that's helpful for me. <laughs> coffee and the Bible. I don't know. It's just helpful. Um, one of God's good gifts. The person that reveres Scripture is the one that prepares their heart, no matter the time of day or the circumstance, when they crack open God's Word. And um, I've found that a good way to do this is to pray a short prayer before I begin to read God's word, to, to kind of address God, to acknowledge that he's there and he's going to speak to me through his word, thank him for his word, ask him to use it to make me more like Christ, to give me understanding, um, to help me have a soft heart, which... Um, leads us to part B then, humility and dependence upon God. We need to be humble and to have a posture of depending on Him. We have to have humility and sincere dependence upon Him when we spend time in His Word. We need to acknowledge that we're wholly dependent on the Lord to illuminate the Scriptures for us. The Reformers, are, are during the 1500s and afterwards, they called the activity of God by which the truth of his word is pressed upon our minds and our consciences. They use this phrase, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. The internal witness of the Holy Spirit. We know that apart from God's Holy Spirit's work in us, we can't receive and obey God's word. Yeah. Because then our, if, it, if the Holy Spirit isn't working in us, all that's working in us is our sinful nature, which will reject God's word. So if someone could read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Maybe someone with a paper Bible. We'll just give them a chance. Jerry, did you say you want to read that one? Yeah. Okay. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, yeah, I, I, I'm going to read that out loud one more time just so you can hear it. The natural person, and he means a person who's not a Christian, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, this is interesting. Why do you think we invite non-Christians then to come to church and with us and listen to the sermon or even to read the Bible with us. If they can't understand it in their natural sinful state, 
Why would we invite them to come hear it? Because of 1A. Yes. Because what? Because of 1A. <laughs> because of 1A. That's right. That's right. Because our prayer is that the Lord will use that, you know, uh, in connection with truth. He will cause them to be born again and they will understand it and repent and believe it. So that's what we're, that's what we're hoping and praying every time we open the Bible with a non-Christian or share the truth of Scripture with a non-Christian, invite them to church to hear the preaching or the singing or the prayers, which is all laced with and saturated with biblical truth. Um, yeah. So we go to the Scriptures prayerful and mindful of our reliance upon the Lord as we spend time in His Word. Psalm 119, verse 18 is a wonderful verse to have on hand. It says, open, the, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Part C then, another way that we need to approach the scripture is with receptive hearts. Receptive hearts. So we need to revere scripture, have humble and dependent attitude toward God, and then receptive hearts in the parable of the sower, Jesus likens a receptive heart to good soil. Good soil. When the seed of the word is sown in that kind of a heart, it takes root and it bears fruit, pleasing to God. James exhorts us to be doers of the word and not only hearers. He writes this in James 1, 22 through 25, and I'll just read this one out loud. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So to... Yeah, to look in the mirror and then to immediately step away and forget what you look like <laughs> is like the person who's not intent on acting on God's Word. So the Bible should not only instruct our minds, but should also transform our lives. The goal of the Bible and taking it into our lives is to grow in conformity to Christ, to be more like Him through a changed life. All right, let me, let me uh, ask you a question. So there's reverence. I've mentioned reverence and then humility and dependence and then having a receptive heart. Would you add anything else to this list of how we need to approach Scripture if we want to grow? Just anything that you can think of. I, I wrote down a couple things, but I wonder what you might think. Some of these might actually, in some ways, you might think of words that are related to those words of receptivity and humility, dependence, reverence. One thing I might add is some sort of um, talking with other people about what you've read. Okay. A way to cement things. Okay, okay, so processing. Yeah. Yeah, no, making, you know, kind of saying it back to others or making sure, or we call it, you know, in counseling terms, you talk about reflecting. 
what what is that person said let me see if I understand correctly what you're saying you reflect back uh, yeah yeah I think that's really important I think of another one being patience mm. sometimes I come to God's word and um I mean in some ways it it it's a sort of it relates to receptivity and being dependent on God. But I come impatient to God's word. Like, I just need to read it and get it done and move on and somehow expect that to be nourishing, which it probably won't. So patience. And I think, honestly, the internet, like, makes me impatient. Mm -hmm. Modern life related to the internet in particular. It's just so instant. I expect everything instantly. All right, let's go on then. Uh, part three, Roman numeral three, learning from the Bible, and we're going to talk about methods. Hearing, reading, and studying God's Word. Hearing, reading, studying. So hearing God's <coughs> Word, first, part A. We should regularly... Sit under faithful preaching. Preaching is a means of grace ordained by God for his glory as well as the good of his people. And we find that throughout the Bible, God uses the public teaching of his word to communicate his truth to his people. And we see this taking place even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy. So before Israel crossed the Jordan River to take possession of the promised land, Moses taught the people about God's past works of power to deliver them from the Egyptians and other enemies. Deuteronomy actually is three sermons that Moses gave on Mount Nebo, which was the mountain on the other side of the Jordanian side of the Jordan River. Before they could look out and they could see the promised land and they were about to go in and, and, but they were all the children of those Israelites who had been rescued from Egypt. Their parents had died in the desert as they wandered for 40 years. And he had to refresh their memories and teach them um, because probably a lot of their parents didn't do a good job of teaching their children God's law. Three sermons in Deuteronomy. Um, and... A similar event takes place toward the end of the Old Testament uh, after some of the exiles came back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. There is a priest named Ezra, the book named after him. Um, they appear before God's people after they've returned from exile. And what do they do? They read out loud the book of the law because people in exile had been starved of it. Um, Seventy years was their exile. Uh, could someone read Nehemiah? You got it? Nehemiah 8? Eight? Yeah. 8. Great. Thanks, Awan. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people <coughs> understood the readings. Okay. Reading. Yeah. So they, they were reading the law of God out loud for the people. It goes on all day, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in that passage. 
And the priests are moving through the crowd, explaining to people what they're hearing. Uh, helping them, get, it says they gave the sense, um, which is interesting. They're, they're, they're helping them understand. Now that pattern continues then in the New Testament. The resurrected Christ appears to Peter and he urges Peter to do what? Feed my sheep. And in saying that, Jesus is referring to the faithful teaching of the word for the spiritual nourishment of God's people. And um, that kind of exhortation as well is seen in other places in the New Testament, of course. So in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, Paul exhorts Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture and to preaching and teaching. Devote himself to it. So... The scriptures are clear that God so values the preaching of the word that he actually blesses the church with men who will do that, just that. These pastors and teachers are called gifts to the church, given for the purpose of equipping Christians for the work of ministry and strengthening the body of Christ. So, so that's why, you know, in our service, we have scripture readings. We just read it out loud. Um, today, I think Jenny Aliman is the scripture reader. Uh, for the passage uh, in the New Testament that will be paired together with, oh, excuse me, in the Old Testament for that will be paired together with um, Michael's passage in Revelation today. He's, uh, he's preaching on chapters 12, 13, and 14. It's great. The, the, the mark of the beast, 666, it's there. Just wait. You're going to be blown away. <laughs> Um, um, no charts, no diagrams, no anything like that. But um, so um, when we when we read uh, about Christ giving the gifts of pastors and teachers to the church, we read about that in Ephesians four eleven through thirteen. Jesus is depicted as this conquering king, this resurrected and ascended king. He's got all authority. And the question is, how is he going to use this authority? Will he, will he obliterate the world? Will he, um, will he destroy his enemies? Not yet. Um, not yet. In perfect, in, in perfect keeping with what we learn about Jesus' life on earth and the Gospels, um, after he rose from the dead, he carefully showed his followers how he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and promises. So his, he's going to do that. He's going to come back and defeat his enemies. But first, he wants his word to be proclaimed in the earth so that all the sons of God, meaning men and women, who would repent and believe and trust in Christ and be born again, all of them will be revealed, unveiled, found, uh, and saved. And so maybe if someone would read Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood 
to mention the of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Okay. So he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's so important. So important. Um, every member of Covenant Hope Church is hopefully being equipped for the work of the ministry. It's not just the pastors and the deacons who are doing the work of ministry. Every member of the church should be doing the work of ministry in the church. If we're going to grow up into mature, quote-unquote, manhood, into Christ, um, it requires everyone, everyone doing ministry. Um, recognizing that teachers and pastors are gifts to the church will help us to listen to the teaching of the word. It will give us hearts that are grateful to God and soft to his truth. It also encourages us to discipline ourselves to hear the word regularly and attentively. Hey, you guys, don't underestimate just showing up. Just show up. I mean, you all have shown up this morning, so, you know, hey, double stars for you. Um, but yeah, when you're encouraging others in the church, I think just showing up as often as possible, even when you don't feel that great, even when you got a, had a really busy week and you're tired, just showing up makes such a big difference. You hear God's word. Um, so um, Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I think he was, if I'm not mistaken, responding to someone who said, blessed is your mother. And he said, no, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Well, so we would do well, of course, to heed Jesus's exhortation to us. So question, with all of what I've said here in view, then what are some practical ways for us to devote ourselves to hearing God's word? What are some practical ways? Maybe both individually and corporately. I'm sorry? Okay, come to a Bible study and come to midweek Bible study or there's, there's, there's some small groups going on in the church where people gather around God's word every week. Yeah, excellent. When you're alone, like, uh, listening to the podcast. Okay, yeah, listening to, um, are you talking about the sermons? Sermon and I'm... And also podcasts? Podcast yeah, various podcasts about, about the scripture. Talk. Yeah, Bible talk. Mm. Yeah, have you been listening to that, Thelma? I've been listening to it lately. lately yeah. It's pretty deep. Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm deep sea diving. Mm. You know, um, yeah, it's really good. First Samuel, it's, I think they're still in First Samuel. A couple of things that help me for Sunday church is, um, one is to put my phone away. Okay. Um, because it's just a distraction yeah. in my mind. Yeah. And um, it helps me to take some notes. It's weird. I don't refer back to those notes very uh, yeah, often. Yeah, yeah. But it just helps me to track what's being said. Yeah. I mean, usually I throw them in the trash afterwards, just to be honest. But it just keeps my mind from wandering. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and then the other thing I thought about is just if possible to read the passage before I go to church. Yeah. Helps me to just be a little bit familiar. Yeah. Even if I have no idea what it's talking about. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it'd be good to read chapters 12, 13, 14 today before you get there. I mean, that's going to take you about 15 minutes uh, to get through all of that, and your head will be spinning. <laughs> <laughs> Dragons, beasts, birthing women fleeing into the, to the forest. Um, yeah, strange stuff. Anything else? Really, everything we do as a church, you know, coming to a core seminar, uh, whether it's this one or, you know, they're, they're doing New Testament overview survey, one on one, getting together with one another and reading the Bible. I, I, I mean, I honestly find that to be like one of the most helpful spiritual disciplines is reading the Bible with other people and uh, trying to talk about what I'm reading with other people. Um, Listening to sermons, you all mentioned that. Listening to good podcasts, great. Any questions at this point? So we've gone through part one, which, um, what's my title again? (laughs) You've got it right there. Why is the Bible so important for Christians who want to grow in Christ? And then we talked about, actually, we're, we're in part three, aren't we? Preparing to receive the word and then learning from the Bible the different me- methods, hearing, reading, and studying. So we just talked about hearing. We're going to go into reading. Any questions? All right. Number uh, part two under, actually... That should be B, shouldn't it? <laughs> Is it listed as B on your? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not on mine. See, those Roman numerals and the letters, they get mixed up. All right. Reading God's Word. So hearing God's Word now, reading God's Word. If someone would read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Very interesting, right? 3.16. That's an important chapter and verse in a number of books in the Bible. John 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. That's right, 1 John 3.16. It's really important too. Somebody want to read it out loud? All scripture is read out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And, of course, it's true for the woman of God as well. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and, of course, he said the man of God, and specifically because 2 Timothy is Paul writing to a pastor, right? So he's saying it's it's absolutely necessary for a pastor, and, and it would be so for us as well. Not only are the words of the Bible from God himself, we learn in these verses that they're there to help us grow in holiness, to equip us to do good in this life, the good that God approves of. And to take this a step further, then we learn that the person who practices and applies these words has all that he needs for training in righteousness. 
They are, in other words, sufficient for our lives. Knowing the value of God's word and the sufficiency of God's word should motivate us to read it regularly. Jesus often asked the question, have you not read? Can you think of him saying that to the, uh, the people around him? Oftentimes Pharisees. Have you not read or haven't you read in the law? He assumed that those claiming to be the people of God would have read the word of God and know it. So would someone read Matthew 22, 31 to 32, verses 31. Matthew 22, verses 31 to 32. Got it? You want to read it, Serena? And as for the resurrection of the dead... Oh, wait, louder. Sorry. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Okay, yeah. Uh, interesting. Do you all know where this is from? And I'm, I'm just guessing. I think this is from Exodus. Um, when, when Moses asks, who should I tell them? Who are you, basically? I'm going to go back and tell them that Yahweh has told me to come rescue you. What should I tell them? Who you are? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so Jesus is saying, basically, God said in Exodus 400 years after these guys died that he claimed basically I'm still their God. They're alive with me. Jesus himself was a diligent reader of God's word. He knew the scriptures better than anyone because of course they were his words. He would often say it is written to answer his questioners or accusers. And we also see that example in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, right? Three times Jesus was tempted by Satan. Uh, Satan used scripture himself, which shows us that Satan can use scripture and twist it, uh, change its meaning for his diabolical purposes. And every time Jesus answered, it is written when he answered Satan. So we should follow Jesus's example when temptation comes, he used the word of, when temptation comes our way, we should use the word of God to combat it. We need to regularly be soaking ourselves in God's word so that when questions arise or discouragement sets in or sin comes knocking or a friend comes to us in need of truth or an opportunity is there to share the gospel uh, or our spirits grow weak or the frustrations of life begin to blind us to God's promises, we forget. Or we find ourselves in desperate need of grace. When any of those things happen, we can meet them with the true assurances and promises and commands and reproofs and encouragements from God's word. Now, if you're, you're like me, you fully intend to read the Bible, you know that you need to read it, and yet, all too often, it doesn't happen for one reason or another. So if Bible reading is so important, the question is, how can we establish consistency in it 
and approach it with the right heart attitude every time we come to it. Two practical suggestions. Number one, find the time. You've got to find the time. We should discipline ourselves to set aside time every day to read God's Word. Don't leave it to chance. Don't, you know, pray, well, I hope, I hope I'm drawn into reading God's Word some tomorrow. <laughs> Set your alarm. Make, or make a plan for it. I'm going to read it during my lunch break. Um, <clears throat> be deliberate about that. Um, it's helpful to have a fixed time every day that helps you be consistent in your Bible reading. Strive to build a habit of regular Bible reading and pray for God to help you to be disciplined in it. And if you fail one day, get up on the horse and keep riding. You know, tr try again. Keep going. Don't give up. Um, if you were to read the Bible for 15 minutes each day, you'd get through the Bible every year. That depends on how fast you read. Uh, now, you guys, I've been reading the Bible as a Christian now for 43 years. It's a long time. I've found that my goal, um, I want my goal to be to master the Bible even more and even more than that to be mastered by it. Right? And I, you know, it just does not get old. It doesn't get old. I mean, just because I've read it, just because I know parts of it doesn't mean they don't hit home. You know, again, the Spirit takes it and, and uses it like a sword or like a surgeon's scalpel oftentimes on my heart. Truths that I've known before, I've, that I've been convicted of time and time and time again, it happens again. I need to be convicted mm -hmm. of that same thing, you know? And there's new things. And... You know, one of the greatest um, joys for me is, um, is reading God's Word and finding connections between the, the Testaments these days. You know, reading the New Testament and recognizing language that's not a direct quote, but it's what we call an allusion, which is a, a vague reference to something in the Old Testament. Um, and that's just, you know, realizing, oh, this New Testament author had that scripture from the Old Testament in his mind when he wrote this. Um, I was just um, not too long ago reading Hebrews. We're coming up to the passage in Hebrews in our Wednesday night study. Uh, and I, I made a note in my Bible. I noticed it this past Wednesday because it's, it's in the next few verses where, where the author says, um, and I'm going to get this a little bit wrong, but it's roughly, you know, strengthen your weak knees and your drooping hands. Um, and I just so happen to be reading both in Hebrews and in Isaiah, and I recognized that strengthening your knees and your drooping hands. It's in Isaiah, but it's not a direct quote. It's just an illusion. So it's like the author had that in his mind. Um, anyway, those are just such rich connections in the Bible um, that I am just continually amazed by. The Bible's inexhaustible, 
and what it has to teach us about God and ourselves and the world that he's made. And of course, we're fools if we think that because we've already read through the Bible uh, a time or two, that we don't need to read it anymore. And I encourage you, read through the whole thing. Read through Leviticus. It's good. Um, Read Obadiah. Um, Read Numbers. Numbers is way better than you think it is. (laughs) I know, you've got a lot of names at the very beginning, but you just go through it. Um, Oh, Christians, we need God's word more than we know. We should find a regular time to read it. And if that's a struggle, and I trust me, I know it is, we should ask for accountability from trusted friends. We should keep, keep trying to make it a part of our life. It takes a while to make something a habit, doesn't it? We have lots of other habits. Mm. Uh, we have lots of habits we want to get rid of, mm. most of us. Um, we want to add that habit. That's the best kind of habit. Number two, so find a time. And number two, find a Bible reading plan or a system that works for you. So, you know, there's the Robert Murray McShane plan, who was a 19th century pastor in Scotland. And he had this schedule, a scheme for daily Bible reading. And it takes the reader through the Old Testament once and New Testament and Psalms twice per year. It's pretty it's pretty hefty. Um, it's about four chapters a day taken from different parts of the Bible. And um, D.A. Carson, the author and speaker, uh, has modified it and published two books based on it with meditations on whatever those readings are for the day. They're called For the Love of God. So it's meditations for the love of God by D.A. Carson. And there's so many Bible reading plans out there. There's tons. Uh, and, you know, I think on most of the Christian websites like Desiring God and TGC and others, especially around January, they all publish their Bible reading plans. They're like, oh, use a Bible reading plan. I feel like I need it published in March and June and October as well, <laughs> you know. I'm like, please, come at me with that. I need more of it. Uh, have you guys used a Bible reading plan? Uh, what was it and was it helpful or not? Which of you have? Okay, Edwin, yeah. Was there a name for it? Uh, it's one that uh, Jason DeRucci. Uh, okay, Jason DeRucci, who's a, yeah, who's a, I think he's a leader at Bethlehem. He was. He was, okay. Anybody else have? The Bible app. Pardon? The Bible app has a bunch. The Bible app, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Bible apps have plans built into them. Pardon? It's called the Bible. The Bible, yeah. I okay. did a read through the Bible in a year, and it took me about three years. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, you know, but it's I okay. But I like I, I can't, I can't hold on to big, big, big yeah. There, there are benefits in going fast and going slow. Yeah. Yeah? And I think we should alter our speed at times. Um, Sometimes you want the 30,000 foot view. Sometimes you want the drone height kind of view, you know, about 25 feet off the ground um, and somewhere in between. Anybody else have a plan they're using? I'm using a plan right here. This has been in my Bible for several years. (laughs) 
the yeah, and you'll know because it's this is listed as the 2022 five-day Bible reading program, and uh, to read the entire Bible uh, in one year, it's chronological, and it's five days of the week. So if I miss two, I can still stay on track. Yeah, that can be discouraging if you seven-day plan, but yeah, or you can just blow through and keep going seven days a week in this. I paused recently on this plan and started reading 1 Samuel because I was going to go uh, teach that up in Erbil, 1 Samuel, in the Simeon Trust workshop. So I'm, I'm pretty soon I'm going to come back to this as soon as I finish 2 Samuel. I think um, at this, this few years ago, uh, we did it with a couple of ladies. Joella posted it and we, um, we're, we joined that plan. It's helpful because she would give us like a nudge, like, okay, we're reading this mm. for the week. And it's so helpful to be reading it with others. Yeah. Because yeah. You're, um, yeah, you're encouraged to read it. And yeah, it's that camaraderie. It. Yes. It's like, I don't want to be left behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. You can do it. Right. Catch up. Catch up. Yeah, that's good. All right. Third tip is, uh, or third section, I guess it's listed as C. It's listed as four for us. Four? I think it should be C. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to change that. The regular reading of God's Word is like riding a motorboat across a lake, it gives you a good overview of the lake. But studying scripture is like scuba diving in the lake. It gives us an in-depth look at what's below the surface that we would otherwise miss. Maybe I should use the illustration of the ocean. That might be a little more interesting than scuba diving in a lake. Reading gives us breadth, but studying gives us depth. Um, could someone read Acts 17.11? 17.11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word of God with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Mm -hmm. Great. The Bereans. The Bereans are famous in scripture because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if Paul was getting it right, right? Those who search the word with eagerness have a noble character. Are we like the, belief, the Bereans? Do we exercise our hearts and minds to ponder scripture? Are we careful to examine all things in the light of God's word? God is pleased when we delight in his word and when we have a fervent desire to study it. Think about it this way. Can you imagine a man or a woman saying of their spouse, well, I love them, but I don't like listening to them talk to me. Mm. Yeah, that marriage is in trouble. <laughs> um, and if the Lord is our groom and we're the bridegroom, if we say we love the Lord, <coughs> but we don't like listening to him talk to us. Mm. Yeah, our hearts need some serious adjustment. 
as Christians, we should be characterized by a love for God's word. And so ask yourself, is your zeal for the word flagging? Is it, is it, is it uh, fading? Ask God to revive your heart to love his word. He is the one who enables us to exclaim, just like the psalmist says in Psalm 119, which is all about God's word, the longest psalm in the entire Psalter, oh, how I love your law, I meditate on it all day long. So here at the very end then, uh, we've got five helpful questions and kind of uh, additional expansion on that, uh, on each of those five questions to ask when studying the Bible. So I would say that actually I've, uh, I mean, reading the Bible, if there, there's a line that's blurred between reading the Bible and studying the Bible. I think if you learn how to study the Bible, when you read the Bible, you'll actually be studying it. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of, there, there's a, a gradual merging of reading and studying together. Um, so asking questions like, what does the text say? You know, making careful observations. If you come to the Wednesday night Bible study, you know, we... We've tried to emphasize that um, over the years of our Wednesday night studies. And, you know, uh, Katrina McNair told me before she left, she said that she learned to study and understand God's word in Covenant Hope Church. Uh, And she said, you know, all that recognizing grammar and parts of speech and stuff, it was actually really helpful in the end to understand what is, what is the scripture trying to say. Um, yeah, so that, what does the text mean? Um, what, is it, what is it communicating that's interpretation? Uh, asking questions like number three, what, cause, what concerns caused the text to be written? You know, what was the author wanting to communicate and why would, did he want to communicate that? What do I share in common with the original audience or human author of the text? So understanding ourselves in light of Scripture, there's some helpful questions there. How should I now respond to the truths of God's text? Whoa, gosh, we've got to get to that question. Is there, something, is there something for me to believe or is there something to, for me to reject in God's Word? Or maybe if it's pointing out false teaching, then I should reject that as well in my life. Um, is there an example to obey? Is there an example to avoid in, in Scripture? Um, and um, I might say as well, and it's not listed here, but I think just responding to God in prayer based on what we are reading and studying in Scripture, to thank Him for it the truth, to thank him for the good example, to thank him for the, the exposing of false teaching that will lead us astray, to um, help us, you know, so talking to God about, so it's that, it's, that's how the conversation between us and God happens, right? We hear God's word um, and the spirit makes his word come alive to us and hit home and then we respond to him in prayer and that's, that cycle of conversation between us and the Lord. And there's helpful books, of course, for the love of God. There's one here called Search the Scriptures. 
Uh, I've got a couple books up there that have basically a set of questions for every single passage in the Bible. Yeah, it's so helpful, so helpful. So our growth, this is to conclude then, our growth in godliness depends on how much we take in the Bible. God sanctifies us through his word. Jesus, when praying for all who belong to him, said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. What a great line. And last of all, I have a quote for you. It's a little bit long, but it's so, so rich. The Welsh pastor Geoffrey Thomas said this. Do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Rather, expect often to be puzzled by its contents. It is not all equally clear. Great men of God often feel like absolute beginners when they read the word. The Apostle Peter said that there were some things hard to understand in the epistles of Paul. I'm glad he wrote these words because I have felt that often. So do not expect always to get an emotional charge or a feeling of quiet peace when you read the Bible. And again, I think, I think that the internet does a lot to condition us to expect that. By the grace of God, he goes on to say, you may expect that to be a frequent experience. In other words, to feel peace, to get to be, feel an uplift. But often you will get no emotional response at all. Let the word break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by and imperceptibly there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become wonderfully great. Yeah. I have often thought, you know, when I read passages and I'm like, what is that there for? What am I supposed to learn from that? I have no idea. And I think, you know, what you're doing is you're just storing it up in your heart. You're storing it in there. And one day the Holy Spirit is going to go take that out of storage and make it clear to you in his timing. Mm. Do you have the last line of that quote? Yeah. Yeah, you want to hear the last line again? No, there's another line of that quote that says... Oh, yeah? Keep reading until your eyes can't read anymore, and they close in death, and you open them to the word Really? Is that that his? Ah, okay. Yeah, this is from Don Whitney's book, and you you like... Yeah, I love that book. Yeah, you, you close your eyes having just seen and read the Word of God your whole life, and then you open your eyes after death, and you see the Word of God, the Lord Jesus. Yeah? That's the promise. Any questions? Yeah, I have a question. Yeah, Edwin. So, um, you, one of the points was on reading God's Word. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering, is there value to reading it aloud as to reading it yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, the primary value for me is I stay awake. <laughs> if I read it out loud. We, I mean, Joanne and I have a habit. Every morning we read, the, we read the Bible out loud together. I mean, we miss a morning here and there, but we read the Bible out loud. 
And we go back and forth. Sometimes I'm reading it because she's eating her breakfast at the same time or vice versa. Um, yeah, I think it's really valuable. Um, reading it out loud is great. Any other questions? I'm still trying to word it properly. I don't think I'll articulate it well, but... Okay, I'm give it a try. To, yeah, so while studying the Bible, uh, what what is, like, how do you draw the line between pride and desiring more meat? Pride and what? Desiring more meat. Like, yeah, meat. yeah, yeah. So that could even be, like, even in sermons or even yeah. in... Yeah. <coughs> well, I think if you understand the Word of God... The more, you, the more you read it and the more the depths of it that you understand, the more you understand how wicked you are and how much you need grace. So if, if you're just prideful about kind of knowing it, I mean, what is, it says in the New Testament, you know, pride puffs up. Um, and so, yeah, I think you've got to remember that Jesus is not... The goal is to know Jesus more and to grow to be more like him, not just to be somehow in some way academically better than others with regard to the Bible. You know, that's just completely missing the point. So remembering the point, um, remembering the point, it's to know God, not to not to be a Bible master. I mean, yes, that's good. Do that, but do it so that you know the Lord. So I think, yeah, just remembering the end goal is not just get through it. And, and you know, it's not that Jesus is over there kind of clapping for you. Hey, you got through four chapters. That's fantastic, you know. I just want you to know it, um, and I want you to know it better than everybody else. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want you to know me, and I want you to know it so that you can help everybody else. Um, so that's a that's just a just reorienting your heart and and remembering that um, look you know God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you are proud, you will not get grace, and you won't get grace because you not because it's not being offered to you, but because you don't think you need it. Proud people don't think they need grace. That's why they're proud. But if you know you need grace, there's endless quantities of grace for you in God. So, yeah. It's a good question because it's a trap that lots of people fall into. Other questions? Hey, I have, um, I have something that I, I got when I was a university student that really helped me. It's called Daily Discovery in God's Word. So it was in my university days that I began to learn how to study God's Word. I had become a Christian at the age of 16 and, you know, kind of floundered along as a baby Christian, not growing that much. I was growing some, but not that much. And then uh, my second year in university was when I really plugged into a Christian fellowship group. So I was, what, by then 19. Um, 
So it took me three years of kind of meandering spiritually. I was a Christian, but just a babe. And, um, and I went to this conference. I remember it. it was in Birmingham, Alabama. And Max Stiles was my staff worker, like a focus worker. And um, I'm stepping out of the sun, sorry. Um, and he got me into, it's called, it was called Bible in Life, very bland title for a conference. Um, and we studied the book of Joshua. And I remember that God's word came alive for me that weekend. And I, I just thought, oh my word, I, I can read and understand God's word. And God speaks to me through his word. It was powerful. Um, I remember studying the passage where the Israelites and Joshua, they crossed the Jordan and then they set up a memorial on the other side. Um, and yeah, it's just amazing. And, 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 and that started me on this journey of reading and studying God's word like I had never had before. But anyway, this was kind of came comes out of that conference. So it's a little, some of the language is a little bit dated, but not really. And I thought I'd give it to you. It's a front and a back. And um, it's, it basically tells you how to study God's word. So day one, getting the overview. So it's talking about skimming through an entire book. Day two, getting the overview part two. Look through and find the chapters you, that can be most naturally grouped together. List the two to four major divisions of the book by chapters. Give each group a short title. This is teaching you how to study and analyze God's word. Um, uh, day three, look closely. So then you're looking at individual passages. Um, you know, looking for who, what, where, when, how. Um, cause and effect, repeating, contrasting things, similar ideas. Day four, dig deeper. Um, sketch out a chart. I mean, this is, and honestly, I still use these things when I'm preaching, when I'm preparing to preach. I mean, they've been modified a little bit over the years, but I thought I'd give this to you and stick it in your Bible. Here, pass those down, and I mean, if you'll pass those around. Hopefully there's enough. I can print some more if there's not. So for years, I kept that stuck in my Bible and would kind of use that. And now it just kind of comes naturally. You do those kinds of things enough that you look at a text and it just starts to fall into place because you're used to observing the right thing um, and the way it's structured and the way it's put together and things like that. Um, yeah. All right, let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do love your word and we want to love your word even more. And so we pray that you'd be at work in us. We pray that today as we attend the gathering together, that your word would have its desired effect on us, Lord, whether that's to convict or encourage, to build up, to, to teach and train us. Lord, whatever you have in store is good for us. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be, we want to grow. So help us with that, Lord, through your word. In Christ's name, amen.